Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Ironically enough, it's raining while we're recording this podcast. Now, we usually record at Camaraderie Co-work Space, but today we're at Emerald Leaf Farms, and I'm joined by none other than Chad Gangwer. <laughs> I like how you explained it. Like, we're in a gang, but backwards, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Chad, thanks for being here with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. So uh, for a lot of the listeners who might not be in the Greenville area, for the listeners that are in the Greenville area who have maybe had your food and not known it. Why not introduce yourself really quick? Let them know who you are, what it is you do, and where you're from. Uh, my name is Chad Gangworth. I uh, am partnered with Southern Culture Kitchen and Bar, uh, LTO Burger Bar, and Habitat, uh, three local restaurants in Greenville. Uh, Southern's been around for almost eight years. It'll be eight years in September. We opened up LTO about three years ago, and we just hit our year anniversary at Habitat. Nice. Now, Focusing on Southern for a second, when you say eight years, um, I don't know much about the restaurant industry, but I do know there's um, a, a high fail rate. Yes. Eight years for a restaurant, that, that's pretty good. How big of an accomplishment is that? Eight years is like uh, it's like dog years. Uh, <laughs> if you made it eight years, you know, they tell you if you can survive the first three years in the restaurant business, then you can start leveling out and you can pretty much take care of business. I love uh, it. I love it. And you're kind of experiencing that with LTO and then um, one year anniversary with Havy Tap, which I think I told you before um, the podcast, I haven't had that yet. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> I will work on that. But my first question is, how do you get into the restaurant industry? What was that story like in terms of first, I don't know what your entrance to the business was and how you work yourself up? Uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people don't seek out to be getting the restaurant business, mm -hmm. I think you get kind of thrown into it. It's kind of a, a job. You know, I started off as uh well, I actually started off as a dishwasher at Quincy's and I worked there for a week. Wow. And uh, the first week, my stepfather came and picked me up and I was outside with the uh, kitchen staff drinking and smoking. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can get really volatile real fast when you're in the restaurant business. So my parents yanked me out. Yeah. And I didn't work in the restaurant business again until I was 18. I was a bar back uh, for a place called the Sand Flea which was a shag club, <laughs> McAllister Square. I'm showing my age here. And then uh, I, I decided, you know, I was going to go to school, uh, get a, a real professional job. But when you're trying, when you're going to school, the best thing that pays bills is serving and bartending. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good money. It's great money. And uh, I kept uh, taking a break from school and go back and uh, <clears throat> start bartending all over again, go back into school again, go back bartending all over again. And uh, after a while, I was just like, you know, school's just not my thing. Uh, I can't focus on it. I need money. I had to pay bills. I wasn't interested in getting a, you know, a college loan. I just wasn't in the uh, stars for me. So yeah, I went to my previous company before I opened my own and just told them, hey, if you want me to wash dishes, you want me to manage, you want me to, you know, clean windows, whatever it is, I, this, I'm, I'm going to be kind of stuck here. Kicking and screaming, I got drug into the restaurant business. I did not want to be in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I quickly went from uh, server to assistant manager to GM uh, to regional manager. And uh, the last company I worked for over 17 years. And I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, they had a good structure. They took really good care of me. They were like a family yeah. for years and years. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, 
after about 12 years working there, I was like, you know, I kind of like to do this for my own. You know, I love this company. I love these guys, but you know, I'm, I'm making money and watching the, the uh, owners smoke the cigars and buying jets of my hard work. Yeah. I kind of want to, you know, put that in my own pocket, you know, not in a selfish way, but I had a lot of ideas I wanted to do on my own and I wasn't seeing eye to eye of the company. They didn't want to, you know, they had their, they had their theme, they had their business and they didn't want this other this kid coming in saying, Hey, why don't we try to do this and this? And I get it, but, uh, you know, it's, it was my dream to get out and be a, a business of my own. Yeah. And I love that because there's, there's a lot of things in that story I'd love to jump into and unpack, which uh, when you say with the bartenders making good money, ironically, when I first graduated college, I started researching the best work life balance mm-hmm. job that pays you the most per hour, gives you the most pretty much flexible time. And bartender was, on the top of the list in terms of you could work three, four days, make what most people wake, make in a full week. And oh, then yeah. you have your, your days and most of your week still to do whatever you want with it. And I think it's important to kind of point out that it's great making that kind of money and it's great having that kind of freedom. But, uh, it's also with what much is given, much is required, right? There's responsibility there. It sounds like you used that kind of opportunity to make the money, pay the bills, more so to move yourself forward, not just to not just to kind of invest more in some some dangerous things, as you said. The the service industry can can kind of get dicey pretty quick. The service industry has a high burnout rate. You can, uh, you know, I didn't foresee, I didn't see myself bartending at forty years old. Um, you can, and I think some people there's a lot of people that make a great living. They love it, and they can do it up to their sixty. Uh, it just wasn't my thing to do the same thing over and over. I'm always trying to reach a higher plateau for myself. It's just my personal uh, agenda. And <clears throat> it's, you know, when I opened up my first restaurant, I was like, okay, this is great, but I want another restaurant. And I opened up second, I was like, I want another restaurant. And I, I, for me, it's a little bit of, uh, it's, it's a lot of passion. It's also, uh, it could be ego, but I, you know, I want to build an empire because, you know, it's about us all taking care of your family. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I grew up struggling as even as a child, as a teenager. Um, I came from a family of zero money, so I don't want my you know my family to go through the same thing I went through. Absolutely, yeah. and I think that's a lot of fuel that some people get to put in their engine moving forward, especially when we have so many people who are self-made nowadays. But I think it's evident when you first mentioned going back into the service industry and you said to your previous company, listen, I don't care if it's washing dishes, bar back, or whatever I have to do, your willingness to kind of take on whatever opportunity or or really whatever foot in the door they'd give you kind of shows to your your commitment to the company or your commitment to what you're doing. I think in today's day and age, I've seen so many people who are like, oh, I didn't work for that company because I didn't want to start off here. Or right. I didn't want to start off there. And it's like, well, you you weren't entitled to anything above that. Right. And that kind of can hold some people back when they're not willing to, I guess, you know, work their way up from the ground up. What was that like when you kind of get to the first level and you have big dreams, big aspirations, or maybe you just want to do a good job and then you find yourself, as you mentioned, you went from manager, regional manager, you're working your way up the company. Was that intentional or did that just happen as a result of your work? Um. It was it was a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I uh, I strive to be on top of any position I'm in in any company I'm in. Um, 
I, I, I'm kind of hard-headed. I don't like being told what to do. So the only way to fix that is to be the person who tells everyone else what to do. I love that. <laughs> so um, so it, it's uh, you know striving to be the best. It, work ethic, I think, is the the key to getting to the the upper echelon of any company. You know, you're not, it's not going to be hand delivered to you. I, you know, opportunity knocks, but you got to be the one that opens the door, and you got to get there. It doesn't just, uh, <clears throat> you know, I deal with a lot of, and it's not just. I don't say it this this uh, generation. I think it's just the frame of mind a lot of people think is they're like, well, why haven't I gotten a raise, or why haven't I gotten promoted? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first thing I tell them is that you really need to look at yourself first and ask yourself that question and not me. If you weren't considered for a promotion, uh, it's not that I'm overlooking you. It's that I'm finding someone who's, you know, has a better key in the position. Yeah. And I, what I found, and at least for me, is is people who over deliver, who deliver more than what's expected of them, are typically the ones who get the opportunities to get an a promotion. I, I say opportunity on purpose because people think an oppor- uh, a promotion is almost necessary. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I've been here for three years. I should get a promotion. Well, not necessarily. Right. Your length at the job doesn't give you the promotion. Your opportunity to the promote promotion is the fact that you've shown you could take on more of a workload than what I've given you. And because you're taking on more, you're more valuable to the company. And, and that kind of continues to, to feed the beast, if you would. Exactly. So, you're moving up. You get to the point where you have your disagreements. I love your self awareness, by the way. In terms, of, I don't like being told what to do. I'm the same way. Which so the only thing to do is is to be the top dog. So you realize this. What was the transition like going out on your own and getting getting your first project started? I I think uh, you first you you see the freedom and you're like I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. and you get cocky at first and then uh, consumers uh, business customer feedback um, and your self-awareness it takes the chip off your shoulder real fast you realize that you know you're not as smart as you thought you were you're not as uh, you're not going to be as successful as as fast as you think you are and you get taken down a couple notches and the humility is actually what helps build you when you think that i've got all the answers and when you start you come across all these uh these boundaries that you had no idea that you couldn't foresee and then you know you grow from that and you learn is if you don't, you fail real fast. So uh, it's you, you observe your own weaknesses, yeah. and you, uh, you you overcome real fast. Or yeah, it's nothing but downhill from there. Now, with whatever you're able and willing to share, what are some of those, I guess, hard lessons you had to kind of learn along the way, kind of going through your projects, and I guess some surprises or some obstacle that came up if someone's listening and they're thinking themselves, oh, you know, I want to start a restaurant. I want to get in the food business. Uh, what are some, I guess, flags of warning you could provide for them? Um, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, when we first opened up Southern, we opened up Southern September 24th, 2012. And the first three months we were almost closed down. Um, we had a lot of, uh, you know, all my friends and everyone sharing and we love this place. It's great, but we were doing, yeah, about 30% of what we thought we were going to do, what we forecasted to do. And uh, we made some big changes and, you know, we are, we didn't have a sign until December, you know, a Southern culture sign because we didn't think that it would take, you know, almost 12 weeks to get a sign made. Things that you've, you don't really, you know, never had a sign made before. So, hey, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to carve out a sign. How hard can it be? Well, it's, it takes a while because you have to go through permits, city permission, 
and it took us a while. So all we had was a banner hanging in front of a restaurant for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was literally overnight, uh, December 3rd or 4th, we, our, our sales tripled on a Wednesday night, just out of nowhere. We put the sign up the next day. People were just, uh, hauling butt in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, for, we rode a nice way for about a year of getting all that, all that, uh, loss that we recuperated in the first three months. Uh, it, it, it came back and helped us out. Nice. Um, but it's still, you know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, if one month you're singing at the top of your lungs of how great things are. Next month you're at home telling your kid, turn off the lights in the bathroom because you can't afford a power bill. Wow. Yeah. So it's very volatile. Yeah. And with that volatility, I, I'm sure there comes, I guess, a level of wanting to plan for the future and, and kind of building the emergency fund and things like that. You know, how does, how does, after a while seeing the busy season, the slow seasons, how does the planning come about in terms of trying to project for the future with something so volatile like that? Uh, you project with a, uh, an honest forecast of what you can do. Uh, it's, you know, uh, restaurant business is, it's strict accounting. It's a lot of uh, crunching numbers. You know, most people, I think, when they come into the restaurant business, they think, oh, I'm going to cook some great food. We're gonna. You know, a lot of people want to do their own bar or restaurant and think, "Well, I'm gonna do. We're gonna. I'm gonna sit behind the bar, sling some drinks, cook some food, and, and you know, have all my friends hang out, and we're gonna we're gonna make a lot of money." And it's not that way. It's every month. It's like, okay, well, what you're thinking about? How do I change this recipe to get my food cost down? Um, my is my bartender skimming off the top of the liquor because my liquor cost is up. I mean, it's a little uh, issue with a CO two could cause your beer cost to go up three percent, which is a huge you wow. Know, at the, if you have 40 taps, that's a big drop in the sales at the, or a big drop in the, the overhead mm-hmm. at the end of the month. Uh, yeah. There's little things you don't think of. Do I need to change my linen because my towels are costing me three cents per 4,000 towels I'm getting a month? You, you start dissecting every single little thing to make sure, you know, a, a restaurant runs on a very slim profit. If you've got a restaurant that runs about 5% bottom line profit, you're doing a good restaurant. Wow. And it doesn't take much to mess that 5% up. Yeah. And I, I love all the things you hit right there because you went, when you mentioned the food industry and the restaurant business, most people think, like you mentioned, oh, I'm just going to cook good food and we're going to be good. But strict accounting, if somebody doesn't like math, that's going to be hard for them. And you even touched on linens with textiles and mm-hmm. CO2 with <laughs> the chemistry. I don't know. I mean, I could imagine the CO2 is there to carbonate the beer, but I don't know exactly the apparatus and how that can affect the outflow. But to kind of be meticulous and pay attention to all of that in the business, I'm curious because you mentioned passion and ego. I've spoken to some people, they get into the restaurant business because, you know, they went to culinary school and their passion is cooking food. With your intro into the industry, what is it that you're passionate about when it comes to restaurants and the food industry? What drives you? Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> there's a, there's a several different facets that I look for in the restaurant business. Uh, to me, it's not just coming in and have the best food in Greenville. It's you got to have, I feel like you have your atmosphere is just as important as your food, your detail to attention, your hospitality, your, uh, what people feel when they walk into the place, uh, the music that you have on, uh, from the hostess greeting people at the door to the, you know, the server, the bartender, um, I'm passionate about from top to bottom. It's not, you know, I focus more on food because I'm a food person as far as, you know, I, my favorite thing is to go in and create the concept, create the menu. Uh, that's the easiest thing to do. Uh, the hardest thing to do is getting the consumer to appreciate your passion of why you're doing this concept, why you're making, buttoning this plate, 
why are you charging this much for this certain plate? You know, a lot of people say, why would I go and get a burger from LTO for twelve ninety five when I can go to you know Five Guys and get something that's actually smaller at the same price as us? Because their perception is that Five Guys is cheaper because it's fast casual. It's not. At the same time, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you're paying for uh, the linens that we put on the tables. You're paying for the the you know, we put sound systems in all three restaurants that are state of the art. We don't just put a you know, a little iPad into some Bose speakers in a restaurant. We do state-of-art sound systems. We do state-of-the-art smart TVs, uh, high definition. Um, you know, everything we do, we do top first class. You know, we want everyone to appreciate. It's the little things you don't see when you go into a restaurant. Unfortunately, I do. When I go into restaurants, first thing I think is, like, I can't hear any music playing. Or this, this booth is not ergonomically correct. I'm uncomfortable. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting straight up instead of a little lean back. Or uh, you know, I see wires coming out from their, their security cameras that the wires are hanging out, or the TVs with the wires hanging out, or just the the dust that's out there, or you know the bathrooms are out of control. They've got a leak here, or they haven't been cleaned in two or three days. You know, when I go, I dissect a restaurant, and the good thing about having three restaurants is when I go in, I dissect every time I come in here. My employees, I know, sometimes hate me because I come in and I'm always dimming the lights, or I'm changing the station, or I'm adjusting the volume, or I'm you know, I was, there's three cigarette butts out on the front door. Little things like that <clears throat> from top to bottom, that's my passion starts from the cigarette butt to the lights being the right way to the blinds being at the correct level at a certain time of day. It's, it's, there's a lot. Yeah. And that's fascinating. And, and I love that stuff because part of me is, I forgot if it was my father or someone once we went to a restaurant and they put it at the plate. And they look at the plate and they just go, it starts with the eyes. Yeah. And and a lot of people, they think, okay, you know, we're going to go to a restaurant, get some good food. But I, I agree. You're kind of, you're not selling just a good tasting plate. You're selling every single sense that they experience from the moment they leave their car from the, they're in the parking lot. Like you mentioned from the banner to the sign, you know, that can do something when you get out of the car and you see a sign that's lit up you know where you are right it's it's your first welcoming sign and that kind of is is something that might not be consciously known to the consumer but i i can definitely tell you it's it's subconsciously known and appreciated by by a lot of the patrons that come in and out of your doors um now moving on to your other projects um i noticed there's a different concept for each yes do you I mean, obviously, I'm imagining you do that on purpose, but where do these concepts come come from? Are they something that kind of sit in your head for a while and you put it on paper and then you execute it? Or do you see the space and then come up with a concept? I've got about 50 concepts in my head or written down that you know, some people some people draw, some people write poetry. I, I develop concepts. And the good ones I'll write down, I'll create a menu and kind of a uh, – you know, a passion letter of each one of what it wants to be. Um, when we did Southern Culture, uh, me and my old business partner, we walked in the space. And when we walked through, I was like, this is what I feel that would work best for this space. I always wanted to do a burger place. <clears throat> at the time, I was, I was stuck on doing a burger place. But at that time, uh, what used to be Mojo's, where LTO is, was a burger place. I was like, well, I can't do a burger place beside this place. I don't want to do anything similar to it. So I kind of developed it. the Southern Cuisine. There wasn't anything on that side of town. Uh, the, I felt the space worked well with it. We had the fireplaces and we had a good little patio on the side. So the, that night I wrote down a a menu for Southern culture and developed it and kind of said, Hey, this is what I want to do. And then with the work with everyone else, we developed it from there. Um, LTO, uh, was actually originally dive and bore, uh, dive and bore 
weird it was supposed to be where Habitat is now. We had already had the space almost available for uh, diving bore over where we had Habitat. And so diving bore was a little similar to Southern. It had a lot of uh, barbecue, a little Southern slide, but also had like a really a hip, a big bar. And we wanted to do that on the Woodruff Road side. But when Mojo's went out of business abruptly, we were like, okay, well, you know, we can, we've already got this brand developed. Let's go ahead and put it in here. <clears throat> because we thought we kind of took the easy route and thought, well, we already had this. We have a sign. We have uh, branding. Let's put Dive More here. And it was a mistake because it was so similar to Southern as far as some of the food that we divided our business between Southern and Dive. And Southern still had the big brunch, and Dive could never uh, get the business that we wanted over there. And it failed after two years. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. It just didn't work. So we decided to turn it into the, uh, the burger bar. And even then, if you've ever been there since day one till now, we keep tweaking. Um, it's hard to get comfortable with what you're doing because you have to um, evolve what the customer feels like. So if you think you've got this great idea, but the customer comes in and they tell you they don't like it, you can just say, well, you don't know what you're talking about, or this is a great thing. Or you can say, okay, well, what do we need to do to make the customer happy? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we changed the bar on the side of uh, LTO, made it more of a pub. And we, we had kind of what we called our, in ourselves the soda shop feeling with the white walls and shakes and all this, uh, you know, kind of comical art. Like, you know what, we're, we're going to kind of refine it. We're going to make it more uh, of a pub. We're going to darken up a little bit. We put a couple of pool tables in there. Uh, we changed the menu around a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly evolving. Yeah. Uh, Habitat, we kind of walked in there and we went with – What's what's working now? You know, Habitat is fast casual. It's counter service. We wanted to be hangout, but it could be something if you came in for lunch and you had 20 minutes to eat, you can come in or get out, or you come in with your family at five o'clock on a Friday night and sit down and order beer and or wine and just get some pizzas or get some sandwiches and hang out all night. Mm-hmm. And it was first beer and wine. And then up about three months ago, people were saying, you know, we'd stay here later or we'd come here more often if you had alcohol, liquor. So we got our liquor license to it's uh, it's what the consumer wants and yeah. you gotta if it's not working then you have to listen to consumers okay well we're gonna do this we're gonna add this we're gonna add this it's constantly evolving it's i love the the kind of the living and breathing business model of the restaurant industry and adjusting to the customer and, and you mentioned with with dive and bore at, at some point okay you're like okay it failed we had to move on to something else what is that moment how do you know when to i guess cut your losses and move on to a new concept or a new idea. I imagine that has to kind of be almost a feel it out type of thing. Or do you have straight strict numbers? If we don't meet this forecast by this date, we cut it. Uh, It starts off with your, your profit and loss. You know, we're losing X amount a month and what can we do to fix this? Are we, is it us? Are we the issue? Are we not, uh, are we not advertising the right way? Are we trying to get the wrong demographic and you're, you're tweaking you're tweaking, you're tweaking, and then, you know, then you reach a certain point. It's okay, well, we're losing X amount of month, and no matter what we're doing, we're still losing X amount of month. So it's, it's not them, it's us. So then you say, okay, we're going to give it till this day. If it doesn't work, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta cut the cord. You know, it's, it's like putting your favorite pet to sleep. You have you've built so much passion, and you have such a uh, a relationship with your employees and the concept and the building that it's, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do is to, to cut a business down. And, you know, you're letting a lot of people that you love and support that, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. We can't, we can't keep this open. Yeah. I can only imagine that's, that's 
a hard call and a tough call to make. And um, kind of transitioning as we we talk about no rain, no rainbows. Ironically, it's raining now, and I do want to kind of give a little bit of time to what we're currently all going sure. through and experiencing, especially uh, not just in Greenville, South Carolina, but this is a worldwide pandemic in terms of COVID nineteen, and, and it's really hit the service industry hard in Greenville, South Carolina. And of course, you having these three restaurants that you're pouring into. What is the past couple of weeks? been like as you kind of really try and make these calls day in and day out well the the one thing they will never teach you in business class is what to do in case of a pandemic um yeah what i tell everyone when we're we're kind of making notes and you know every day we're changing philosophies we're changing things like well you know this is my first pandemic so we're gonna you're gonna take it day by day yeah um i you have to evolve daily you know right now we're, we're we're streamlining our menus because we're basically uh, all three restaurants are glorified food trucks is all we are right now you mm-hmm. can't come in we're serving from a window we're coming out and giving your food uh so you know each restaurant i'm breaking down well what is the best thing i can do for customers what's the fastest thing i can do because i can no longer run with five guys in the kitchen uh our sales are going to be down 80 90 you go from sunday brunch we're doing 400 covers to 40 you know, you have to, uh, you have to adjust, you know, I I still want to do brunch at Southern Saturday and Sunday. I'm trying to bring brunch curbside. We were doing, uh, mimosas, uh, champagne and orange juice for people to take home. So, you know, just, uh, Hey, we're still here and we're going to be here when this is over, but you know, we still want you to enjoy our brunch, you know, fried chicken biscuits, uh, scrambled eggs, Mm -hmm. um, you know, biscuits and gravy, you know, whatever we can do to get it in there. And, uh, you know, we're daily checking out what do we need to do as far as, yeah, you know, LTO. Are we selling all the burgers we used to sell? Or we need to streamline. Do we just need to do bacon cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers, a couple of salads, and a couple of apps? You know, because the more stuff you have on the menu, the more people it takes to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, Habitat. You know, it's it's another thing over there. Or do we want to make it more of a market? Do we want to offer uh, hamburger meat, hot dogs, uh, burger buns? Uh, you know, loaves of bread. You know, you you're looking every day. You're seeing what does the consumer want right now. We're looking at doing delivery soon. Um, so we're trying to do our best. You know, I'm watching several restaurants all around me either shut down just for the time being, which as a restaurant, you know, sometimes it's cheaper just to close your doors. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have my employees go hungry. You know, to my employees are just as important to me as my business. So, you know, you got these guys, you know, they're like your kids. So, you know, you can't just say, Hey, you're gone. Maybe come back to us in six weeks because <clears throat> one, well, if the government decides three weeks later, hey, we're going to open back up, you don't have staff. You can't open up without staff. But two, you know, these guys, they depend on us as much as we depend on them. And you just can't turn your back on them. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's it's one of those uncertain times where things change day in and day out. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And, and by the time this podcast airs, I imagine this is going to be next Wednesday. Yeah. Um, which for folks listening to it, whenever it might be, um, it's kind of hard talking about what hasn't happened yet. Uh, but optimism and, and wanting to hope for the future is, is always great. But unfortunately, we have to plan and adjust to the reality yep. of what the day holds and what the day brings. And I see you guys doing that. And I've seen 
a lot of the community kind of come together. Um, and, and I know it's, it's tough for the service industry right now going through, um, the loss in business, but there, there's, there's been a good core, I feel, of, of that foundation of people who recognize and they've been kind of the, the ones on the front lines giving the cry of, Hey, support local business. How much is that community feel? And some of those, those tags like takeout Wednesday and national takeout day. How much is that? I guess, gassed you up in terms of what service you provide to folks. I mean, in in a pandemic, some people are just kind of like, hey, we can't forget about we can't forget about our service industry people because they are the ones that service all the time. How does that make you feel? Uh, The community has been amazing Uh, for what they have to do. You know, they're going out of their way to go by. Nobody wants to sit in their car. And get, you know, especially with Southern when you're, you're used to, you know, you're making great plates and you go, everyone comes in for the atmosphere. Um, it's just a whole lot easier for some people to just cook at home. Uh, I see tons of familiar faces, you know, when their tickets ring and I look at names, I see last names and I see, you know, I know these people and it's, it's awesome. Um, but as, as glorified as we're trying to make takeout for everyone, it's not, it will not sustain a restaurant to stay open. You just cannot, you're not going to get 400 people to pull up your curb on a Sunday to eat brunch it's just not going to happen and i understand that so it's kind of a uh it's a moral support that the community is doing which is awesome um i try to stay as constant and relevant on facebook and social media as i can and you know i'm kind of every day hey just don't forget i got three restaurants give me your money we need your business you know And, and i'm as transparent as i can be uh we try to bring the same level of service and hospitality to the curb and the uh, quality of food to the best of our ability. Um, And I try to remain positive because of what I tell myself is like, you know what? We can't do anything about this. There's nothing we can do about this. We just have to take what's given to us and we have to, you know, we have to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you said this is my first pandemic. I think a lot of people can kind of uh, sing that same battle cry. We're going through this for the first time. Yeah. We don't know what the next day brings. And, you know, just, Throwing in the level of optimism and throwing in the hopefulness three weeks, four weeks from now, businesses open as usual a month or so you're you're kind of back to the same same numbers what kind of um what kind of ex- i guess lesson do you hope to take from this moving forward if you were to make it out of the storm and and hey we're back at business what are you going to look back and take from from this pandemic experience uh positive side is my staff has been uh, amazingly positive I think they're closer. Uh, they don't take for granted of, uh, they're, they're happy for the work. Um, they treat each other like family. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I don't think you get that in a lot of jobs. You know, some jobs you work beside someone in a cubicle or, um, or in an office and these guys, you know, they work high risks, heavy, loud situations. And when this comes to them, they're like, Hey, you know, I've, I've recorded a couple of my, uh, my employees are like, this is fine. This is fine. We will beat this. You know, and some people, you know, in other places are just like, you know, they're, they're losing control. And my staff has just been, you know, they're happy to be there. When they come in, they're all smiles. Um, it, it's, it's amazing just how positive they are. Yeah. And I think that's something we can all learn and take is, is it almost kind of shows you what's important. Yeah. You know, um, how there's a lot of times a lot of us might, you know, wake up kicking and screaming, like, oh, I got to go to work today. And then we realize how 
our jobs and what we do for a living is kind of what provides us with the life we enjoy living. So yeah. um, it, it puts it into perspective a little bit. Chad, I'd love for folks to have the opportunity to contact and get in touch with, with your businesses, use your services, hopefully use curbside. And I'm hoping by the time this podcast comes up, that's not the issue. That's not the situation. But anything folks can do to contact, get in touch, help, what's the number or location they should Google? Uh, well, we're, I mean, we're all three, Southern, LTO, and Habitat. If you just Google and go on our websites, we offer online ordering. You can order and just when you pull up, the food's ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, gift cards are a great way to support restaurants. Um, and, you know, not just us, everybody out there. You know, it, all the local restaurants. I've gotten a great support from owners of other restaurants coming to eat my restaurants, picking up stuff from me, managers and employees of other restaurants. You know, it's kind of, it's a big family and everyone's trying to do their best to support as many people as they can. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming out and I'm going to have the links to the restaurants and all that in the show notes okay. online. So folks can kind of just click it. If they're listening on their phone, they can kind of just tap it on their thumb and maybe just order straight from their phone. But I, I think you gave a lot of kind of tidbits for folks that moving forward, whenever they, whatever they jump into, I think some of the principles and your passions apply to not just the food industry or restaurants. I think it applies to everything, having having that pride in what you do and, and just really wanting to be the best and wanting to kind of have an excellent experience for the customer. I think a lot of people could excel in whatever industry they're in if they kept that in mind and continue to just serve and and focus on improving their skills. Absolutely. So, I appreciate you being on the podcast and for the listeners that made it to the end, thank you so much for the time and hopefully you're you're weathering this storm as best as you can as we all go through this pandemic together. And some of the some of the tips and the bombs that Chad dropped during the episode really focusing on passion, a little bit of ego. I I like that. A little bit of ego, but also that self-awareness knowing like listen, I don't like People telling me what to do, so I might as well work my way up so I can call the shots. If you're like that, I think a lot of us are, you have to understand that the only way to get what it is you want is to be that good and call the shots yourself, but also strive to be on top. And of course, when opportunity knocks, you have to be the one to open the door. I think that's what a lot of people miss. Opportunity can knock all day, but if you don't open the door, that means you're not ready to take advantage of it. And of course, this is all of our first time going through a pandemic and we hope to make it out on the other side sharing the lessons with everyone else as we move forward as we always say at the end of the episode everybody wants the sunshine but they don't want the rain but you can't get a pleasure you can't get the pleasure without a little pain i'm gonna do that one more time (laughs) (laughs) everybody wants the sunshine but they don't want the rain but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain let's grow The No Rain, No Rainbows podcast is recorded at Camaraderie, a collective workspace in Greenville, South Carolina, right off the Swamp Rabbit Trail. If you're looking for a place to grow your business, network with other professionals, and establish your own workspace, Camaraderie is the place to do so. Get access to high-speed internet, private showers and towel service, free methodical coffee, and free beer on tap. For more details, be sure to head over to camaraderiecowork.com or hit the link in the show notes and find out how you can lock in your space with rates starting at just $99 a month. Be sure to tell them that Ted sent you and try it out for free. You never know, you just might find a new home at Camaraderie. Let's grow.